Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. What's up, everybody? This is the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm Henry Chisholm, and I'm, again, really excited to talk today. Uh, Like I was talking about a couple days ago, I finally had a chance to go out to Boulder to the keg, I know the nickname, uh, to watch the Buffs basketball team take on Loyola Marymount. First time I've watched a basketball game uh, in that arena, and it was pretty cool. Uh, I had a good time. Uh, I'll tell you guys all about that, some of the things that I thought they did well, and uh, also the turnovers, because that is the story of the season so far. I think it has to be the story of the season so far. Hopefully that gets turned around, but at this point, it's concerning. Um, Really fun show today, a bunch of things I want to talk about, but... That's where we're going to start off. Before we get into that, though, I do want to tell you about Drift Car Sharing. Uh, it's an incredible service. It's an incredible company. And basically, remember how like Uber just became like the new taxi thing? And there was like this whole big thing. And the taxis were mad. And at this point, there's just nothing they can do about it because it just makes so much more sense to do it this way than the way it was before. Um, and then you have like Uber Eats or uh, oh Tinder got rid of actual real-life dating. Or, uh, I don't know. I guess social media in general has just made it so that we don't even have to talk to each other's faces, which is cool. Email instead of normal mail. Uh, So many of these cool revolutions because the technology made it possible. And right now, Drift Car Sharing is at the forefront of another one of those. And what they do is give you a parking lot to uh, park your car when you go to the airport and then they rent it out and it's all just through the app. You know, they insure it, they clean it, all that kind of stuff. It's super easy. It's really simple. You save a bunch of money and it just makes sense. There's no reason to have a bunch of massive parking lots at the airport filled with cars from people parking while they're out of town. And then right next to all those parking lots have a bunch more parking lots for the rental cars, the people who get their rent. Why not just use the same cars? Um, obviously, it's like a little scary letting somebody use your car, but they insure it. And there's not too much risk. Basically, you just make a bunch of money. And uh, they have like mileage limits for how far people can drive them. Uh, If they go over that, then you get even more money, which is pretty cool. There's just no better way to park your car when you're at the airport or also rent a car. But uh, that's that's, that's Drift Car Sharing. If you want more information, go to drivedrift.com. And uh, they'll get you all set up. Okay. Uh, Buffs basketball. Um, Like I said, 
it uh, was a frustrating game. Um, it was cool to get up there, cool to see everything. The crowd was disappointing considering where the buffs are in the rankings and school being back in session. The student section wasn't that bad, I don't think. Again, this was my first time, so I'm kind of coming at it from an outsider's perspective. Like a, Compared to other college basketball teams, not not too disappointed in the student section. Thought it could have been better. Everything else, just need more people there. I get that Loyola Marymount isn't... Uh, isn't like one of the big name schools. It isn't a super well-known, established basketball program. But they aren't that bad. And I said this on the podcast before the game. You know, they're they're tough to beat is what they are. They play good defense. They, They have a super slow pace. They have a couple guys who can score, which was on display last night. I can't remember... Uh, how much that guard put up last night. Uh, I should probably pull up those stats for, while I talk. But, um, you know, it, they aren't they aren't pushovers. And I think that maybe uh, there's some arrogance that comes with being a top 20 basketball program. Um, and, and when you play a team that isn't ranked, especially a team that you don't know well, a team that you don't hear much about, you expect to step in and just walk all over them at home. Um, that's tough to do against Loyola Marymount. Uh, it's uh, still frustrating to watch. Uh, I would hedge your anger just a tiny bit uh, about the performance. Yeah, so that uh, Eli Scott did get to 31, the guard from Chino Hills, um, famously, where the Ball brothers, Lonzo and LaMelo and all of them are from. Well, I guess now some of them are from Eastern Europe or something. But uh, Eli Scott put up 31. He, he was sitting on 29 going into the final seconds. He must have gotten a bucket late. I, as soon as it gets down to the end, you, you get too busy figuring out what the plans for after the game uh, when it's not super tight and kind of miss a couple things. <laughs> here's a fun thing that happened to me. I uh, had like a tweet all ready to go. Um, like Buffs beat Loyola Marymount, score to score. Uh, next up is Kansas. And I had it all typed out. And I was just kind of like updating the scores as they go so that I could just hit the tweet button as soon as the buzzer went off. And I was having a conversation with uh, Justin Guerrero, who we're going to have on the po- we got to get him on the podcast at some point. Uh, covers the buffs for Rivals, um, does a bunch of recruiting stuff. Um, talking to him, talking to Kendra Andrews from The Athletic. Uh, she covers the Nuggets. She's also my age. It's cool that there are people my age um, working around me. It makes not not that I don't love the older guys too, but it is just fun to hang out for a couple hours with people like me. Um, but yeah, like we're just talking at the end. I accidentally hit tweet, and the score was way off, and the game was still going. And people were like, "Wait, what are you talking about?" And that was not my best moment, but uh. That's what happens in the last couple minutes of these blowouts. Um, but yeah, that Eli Scott put up 31. Buffs just didn't have an answer. They tried putting different guys on him. They tried a whole bunch of stuff, but it just... He's good. He's hes a good basketball player. I guess that's what it boils down to. Only one other player in double figures. Um, i just looking through the points. So Colorado won 76-64, by the way. But he had 31. Uh, next highest scores were 11, 8, Five, four, three, two, and then a few zeros. They just could not slow him down. And the thing is, if if you can't slow 
Eli Scott down and good basketball player. Don't want to dismiss his effort, any of that kind of stuff. Um, boy, is Kansas going to be a handful because they've got a really a, a few really talented scores. Um, I was I was kind of saying before this game on the podcast that I see the college basketball season as more like a series of tests and like opportunities. And if you're a college coach, you just have to be framing the season that way. It's not just like go out there, win at all costs. And, you know, when it boils down to it, that is kind of where the focus has to shift. But you have to go into it saying, you know what? This is a team that forces 13 and a half turnovers per game. They're a very good defensive team. We need to be careful with the ball, but we still need to run our offense. We don't want to play scared, but we need to make good decisions. This is our chance to prove against a team that is really going to be tough to prove it against that we can do something like this. And that's how I would have framed it. That's what you do in a game like this. You know, against Sacramento State, that might be a game where you say, you know what, we are bigger, we are faster, we are more talented than this basketball team. The only defense is going to be to foul us. And when we get to the line, we cannot afford to miss those shots in a game like this one. That's how you win this game. And that's what you do. You put the emphasis on on the free throw shooting in a game like that. And you find all these little things. You find the one of the problems that's hurting your team, that's been repeatedly hurting the team and saying, you know what, this is a chance to be a turning point. You know, you're going to get to the line however many times. We need to make 80% of these tonight. And that might not be a sustainable number for the entire season, but it's what you need to do tonight to prove that that's what you can do. Um, Loyal Marymount, like I said, it was the turnovers. And they they didn't pass that test. Um, they uh, like I said, Little Marymount forces thirteen half turnovers per game, huge number. Colorado was averaging something right around there, um, but I think thirty seconds into the second half, the Buffs had their fourteenth turnover of the game, and they really did slow things down in that regard in the second half. I'm not sure what the halftime adjustment was, but uh. That was one of just five turnovers in the second half compared to 13 in the first half. Um, it's it's good that they got it figured out. And it's good that whatever they said at halftime worked. But if I'm the coach, and this isn't really a hindsight thing because I said this before, I'm going into that game preaching, you do not turn the ball over tonight. You want to miss shots? You want to blow defensive assignments. You want to do these other things like, please don't. But that's not what our true focus is tonight. That's not the thing where if it doesn't go well, I'm losing my mind. I am going insane because that's that was the entire game plan. You know, and, and that's really how I see the season because it's not like college football where every game is really, really important. Like if, if you drop a couple easy games... Sure. When you get to the NCAA tournament, it's going to knock you down a couple spots. Um, and you don't want that. You want to do what you can to get those matchups as good as they possibly can. Give yourself the best possible chances. But it's not like if they had somehow missed that game or blown that game to Loyola Marymount, that's the end of the season. Like you can't move past it. Whereas college football, that's what it is. You know, Utah lost that one game to USC. And now there's still questions if winning every other game on their schedule is going to get them into the college football playoff. It's just designed differently. College football is designed for the regular season to be what matters. 
college basketball is designed for the postseason to be what matters. You know, if if the the real goal here is to win a Pac-12 title, does it really matter if you lose to Loyola Marymount? And you don't want to, obviously, and and it helps to beat them, but that's that's not quite as big of a deal. Like being able to use these games to work on whatever problems you're facing, whatever mistakes you're making and move forward is what's really important. And, uh, we just didn't see that in, in the one area where you, you need to improve. You can't, you can't be that sloppy with the ball. And it's just, it's just frustrating to watch, especially because, uh, you know, it's like like Kendra Andrews, like I was saying, uh, from The Athletic. She covers the Nuggets, so she knows basketball and all that kind of stuff, but she doesn't necessarily follow Buffs basketball on a day-to-day basis. And so going up there, watching, seeing her first time, it's like, yeah, this is frust- frustrating, isn't it? Like, to see the, the ball just, like, bouncing off of legs and out of bounds, and you're like, oh, yeah, dodge a bullet there, but guess what? 30 seconds later, here comes another turnover. Just, it just can't just can't happen it 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 needs to improve um I thought that this could be a stepping stone I like I've said I thought that they could come out really focus on that getting get the turnovers buttoned up and then go into Kansas with a little bit of momentum um not just momentum I mean they're 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 what seven and oh now that's some serious momentum but momentum in how they're viewed by the fans. Because even right now, looking at Twitter, if if you were to not know that they are 7-0, reading the takes, you'd be like, oh, they're, they're probably like 5-2. and two. Again, largely positive. Tyler Bay, my goodness. Uh, we're going to get into him later. But... But there is this feeling that it could just all come crashing down. And at some point, these problems are going to come back to bite them. Uh, Watching the Nuggets, it's similar. Where you just know, you know, Jokic needs to step up. Jokic needs to step it up. And that's what it is every night. And they still squeak by with a win. But you just know at some point, you're going to need a little bit more out of him. And that's going to be the difference in a game. That might have been what the difference was... Tuesday night against the Lakers. You know, Colorado, it's it's probably going to be a blowout against Kansas. I think that that's, that's my bet at this point, just because there are too many flaws. Um, similar to football. Similar to football in that if you're a good defensive football team, then you don't try to air it out on offense. You aren't taking a lot of risks on offense. You're playing ground and pound football. You're you're trying to score. You're trying to get down the field. But the most important thing by a long shot is putting your defense in good situations. That that same concept holds true in basketball for for a little bit different reasons. But if if you if you're turning the ball over in basketball more often than not, that turns into a fast break. Uh, you know, last night, I, what what were the final numbers here? Um, I guess this page doesn't have points off turnovers. At, at one point last night, uh, in the second half, early in the second half, Loyola Marymount had 15 points off turnovers, and the Buffs had 8 points off turnovers. And 
at that point, I, th- I think it was the turnovers were like 13 to 12, something like that. And so it's pretty close. The same number of opportunities, but Loyola was capitalizing on what they were forcing, the, 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 the mistakes they were forcing. And you, you kind of expect that from a team like Loyola Marymount, where they are fo- forcing so many turnovers, when that really is a big part of their identity. Like, they have one really good scorer, uh, who had a career night, by the way. Like, it's it's not like he's putting up those numbers night in and night out. Uh, I, th- I think he was averaging like 12, 13 points per game before this, 14 points per game. Um but but what Loyola does is they force those turnovers and they get a whole bunch of fast break looks and they know how to take advantage. Kansas is going to be even better at taking advantage. And if the Buffs transition defense is is going to struggle like that, oh boy, it's it it could get really ugly. Um again, that that more than the free throws more than anything is why if if you're saying the Buffs aren't a uh, whatever a Sweet 16 contender, a Pac-12 title contender, well, first of all, you're you're wrong. But but the number one reason would be the turnovers. You, you're you're not playing into your identity defensively with what's happening on offense here. Um, you're not, as as Mel Tucker would say, playing complementary basketball. Um, I would love to talk to Mel about basketball. I. He, with all the basketball shoes, you would think he'd have some thoughts on this basketball team and basketball in general. He goes to a bunch of games. He wasn't there. I guess he's still on the recruiting trail, isn't he? He's recruiting hard this week. Um, might be able to touch on some of that stuff later. But, you know, the free throws were decent. 75.8%. Can't complain. You just cannot turn the ball over. And... uh just to boil this whole thing down, that was their opportunity to to go up against a team where that is their number one focus to force turnovers. And if you could go out there and not do that, then that's how you change a narrative. You know, is that that really is the real problem with this team? Need to clean up the free throws there isn't too much else. I mean, the offense isn't clicking. You don't necessarily need it clicking most nights um, with this schedule just because you are so talented. Not because the schedule's too easy, but because, you know, you only play a team like Kansas once. Um, Just, they're, they're so close to taking a step. And then once they stop turning the ball over, that's when you can really start figuring out what the larger issues are on offense. Um, I have a lot more thoughts. This is taking longer than I thought it would uh, to talk about this basketball team, but I'll come back with more of those after I tell you about Breckenridge Brewery. Um, Breckenridge Brewery, a local company, you know, they, they're really like the DNVR of beer, like started in Colorado, uh, grew, through different like phases we had our bsn denver uh phase i guess that was more than a phase dnvr is kind of a new thing but uh you know they they have breweries up in breckenridge obviously denver and they just kind of like grow and as they grow they change a little bit and then uh just recently in the last couple of years i think they were bought out by a national company 
And so they still keep all the same management, all the same leadership. Uh, they're, they're still like working the same way with the difference being that they can now distribute their beers to 36 states. Uh, they now have more money backing all of the different things that they want to try. They have that new $36 million campus uh, out in Littleton, all these Littleton Centennial, all them kind of run together. I'm working on it, but uh, that's kind of what we want to be here at DNVR. Just keep growing, keep getting more backing to try new things, figure out what works. And I think that's why we identify with them so much. Um, so many good beers, so many different types of beer. You know, I have friends who don't like the Holiday but then tried the Christmas Ale and said, "Oh my goodness, this is the best thing." that I've ever had, you know, it's, there, there are just so many things to try and I haven't tried them all. And I keep talking about this in particular, but that mango mosaic sounds incredible. I don't know that it's necessarily like in season. It's like, I don't, you're not supposed to have like fruity beers some part of the year or I don't know. Some people say like, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. I just drink what tastes good. Maybe my cravings will change. I guess I have been really stuck on the Christmas ale, which is a little bit heavier beer, uh, but very good. Um, there are so many different places you can try it. You can get on the uh, beer locator on their website and see exactly where uh, you can go to get whatever beer you want to try. Or if you just want to try a random one, then it'll just say, like, here's the closest. And uh, typically they'll have like five options. I want to get the Christmas ale in the keg. They have like uh, these mini kegs that are filled with Christmas ale. They're, I don't even know, like, is there like four beers in them maybe? I'm not really sure. But you can find them at like King Supers. You can find them at gas stations. You can find them wherever you can buy beer. Yeah, you guys can buy. You you guys actually have some weird beer laws. You know, I know Utah gets like a lot of attention for theirs because theirs are even weirder. Maybe it's just because I'm from Montana and you can just buy beer anywhere. But it's like a recent development that you can buy beer that's like over whatever percentage in Colorado straight or, or without being in a liquor store i thought that was strange just just try breckenridge beers just try them they're so good there's so many options christmas sales are one of the best get on the beer locator on their website it'll tell you where to go uh just do it not nike ad moving along actually not moving along i'm just going to tell you ryan's jumping in here to talk about uh the blake street tavern and before he does that, I uh, I want to tell you that if you want another reason to support Blake Street Tavern, do it because of Chris Fusilay, the owner. He is like all over the place. He does a whole bunch of really cool things like owning the Blake Street Tavern. Uh, he's super bought in to all of the sports here. You know, all the games are played at Blake Street Tavern with like the sound on. We did a, like our Nuggets live show there. We're planning a bunch of other stuff like that. I record my podcast there uh, a, quite a bit. Um, and also he's just like a massive Buffs fan, Buffs supporter, Buffs booster uh, he, he was sitting there courtside last night for the uh, Buffs Loyola Marymount game, and I had a chance to talk to him. He's going to be out in Kansas this weekend. Uh, Blake Street Tavern, it's like they even have, like he, he has like relentless shirts, like buff shirts that all the people there wear. Uh, it's, it's like Denver's Buffs bar, and I feel really safe saying that. There's always 
so much stuff. They have like the Chauncey Billups jersey and stuff on the wall. When you walk in, there's a massive buffalo head. And it has like incredible food, incredible Breckenridge beers. Uh, Love Blake Street Tavern. Can never give them enough love. Uh, Definitely spend some time there. And if you're going there, hit me up because I'm always down to go to Blake Street Tavern. Uh, Here's Ryan to tell you more about it. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, It's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, They've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap. You name it, they've got it, and the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Okay. Uh, That was Blake Street Tavern. Uh, there, there. I could talk so much about this basketball team. I was kind of worried about like what sort of content I would need uh, to to keep like a, a five day a week podcast going throughout the football off season. That was totally wrong. There is so much to talk about from this basketball team to all the off season stuff to talking about like what are the buffs next year football wise anyway. Like what is this playing style? What is I don't know. You know, back to basketball. Back to basketball. Um, Tyler Bay. Whew. Um, watching him in person is different than watching him on TV. I'm gonna start there. Uh, you 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 get to see some of the athleticism on TV, but it's mostly on the big plays. You know the the blocks. He, late in that game, he was just swatting things. He had two just massive, massive blocks that. I couldn't believe um, he was a, a star again, particularly late. You know, I think that's what really impressed me is the way that he came on later in the game and really provided the the big stops that the buffs needed in big moments, uh, got the crowd into it. That crowd got pretty wild there late too. When I saw that it was uh, a little bit lacking, I, I didn't think it'd have that sort of environment, especially after, like, I've been to six or seven Nuggets games probably this season. They're pretty laid back, even if they're full. Lakers game, not so much, but they're all Lakers fans, so it's like, eh. But I was impressed by how hyped everybody got into it, and a lot of that came off of the things that Tyler was doing. Um, to finish off that thought, though, watching him in person, you see his athleticism on every play. It, it, it seems like if he's under the basket going for a rebound and he jumps up, you're just like, whoa. Uh, on jump shots, you watch him and the way he elevates. And again, it's just like, what is happening? And it makes me wonder if... Okay, so here's a weird thing that I was talking about with the other people last night while we were watching the game. I was like, you know, um, I, th- I tell you guys I had a conversation with Mikhail about what would happen if... Mikhail Onu, if I had uh, a chance to just play safety in one of the Buffs' practices, 
Um, I might have basically, uh, again, it would not go well, but I just don't know how poorly it would go. Like, would I just contribute absolutely nothing? I mean, that'd be my expectation for sure. But I only have that thought about football every once in a while, sometimes with kickers. Like, I want to go out there and just kick a ball. I remember in high school, I knew that I was about 50% from 30 yards. Uh, not impressive, but impressive enough for the high school football coach to say, like, hey, do you want to play golf as, like, your full-time sport and then just come kick sometimes uh, for the football games? And I was like, huh. No, because I don't want to hang out with football players on that sticky bus. Uh, that's the other thing about Montana sports, high school sports. You're like driving across the state. Like the first round of the playoffs, there were like five uh, five high school football teams that had to drive over 500 miles to, to get to their playoff game. It's just crazy. And I had no interest in that. And a bunch of other things. Uh, the point is, with basketball, I get that urge a lot more. Like, you get those thoughts. Like, what happens if Tyler Bay posts me up? Obviously, he scores. Like, we know that he scores. But is it just, like, two steps, and within two seconds, he's dunking on me? Or within one second, he's even dunking on me? Or does it take a little bit to, like, push me? Do Can I force him into a fate? I, I can't. But I just want to see what exactly it looks like when I fail at that. Or what happens when I get to shoot a three? Or they had that kid shoot the half-court shot last night. And I was like, could I get that close? That's something I could probably test out on my own. But here's where I'm going with this. So what I was thinking was I don't really elevate myself too much on my jump shot. For a couple of reasons. Starting with I just can't jump. But second of all, I don't think that I would be able to like balance in the air, like get myself up in the air and still shoot and not just miss by like four feet because uh, you're in the air. Like it's tough. Um, And I almost wonder, okay, that sounds so dumb, but I I wonder if Tyler just jumping that high in his jump shot is just like almost one more thing that can go wrong. If that makes sense. And maybe that's why it just takes more reps. Maybe that's why it's taken so long for him to get that little jumper. Uh, and he, he took a couple jump shots last night. He took one from uh, like the elbow that was almost like a turnaround. He caught the ball facing the three-point line, I think just turned around and shot it. And when he shot that, I was just thinking like, he looks like Michael Porter Jr. He's like two inches shorter probably, but he still has that like just lanky body and he has that athleticism. He gets up in the air and he also wears number one and you could just see how he could become a guy who could break the game even at the next level. Um, that isn't what I'd bet on for him at the next level. There's, for me, it looks like he's probably like a, a good role player. Make him a 3 and D guy. He has the elevation to guard more positions than it probably you'd expect. Um like he can jump. He has those long arms. I, th- I th- what is it? He has like a seven foot wingspan. Uh, if he can add the three, make that consistent, then he is he's off and running at the next level. And then to 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 build off of that, to to become a guy who isn't just like a role player, like a guy who you expect to be on the court, but to turn into somebody who other teams are scared to play. He just has to add a little more shot creation. Like, just be able to get your own looks and then knock him down. 
And I I didn't get to watch too much um, of him last year. But everything that I've heard, all of the takes on him I've heard, everything I've read about him from like a draft profile perspective, or even from a Buffs perspective, has been that he just doesn't have that jumper. Um, he's starting to take it, though, which makes me think that either he has it, or he thinks he has it, or he thinks he's on his way to having it. And hopefully, hopefully he'll start just knocking all these shots down consistently Uh before he leaves Boulder. The fact that he's trying so hard makes me confident that at some point he's going to figure it out. The question is just whether it happens this season or whether it happens a year or two years down the line when he is playing at the next level. Um, So impressive to watch him play. Evan Batty, too. uh, You know, I've seen him in practice. Uh, I've seen him at the scrimmage. But... You don't get how athletic he is unless you're in person as well. I think similar, I mean, not super similar to Tyler, like it's a little bit different, but he he looks so bulky on TV. A lot of that is muscle. He is strong. He can get up. He uh, He's a good basketball player. He's a really good basketball player. Um, I love how much everybody loves him. He, he had like the steel and... Uh, was on the fast break, like him just out in front of everybody. Uh, the whole arena stands up and he's just like screaming, hoping he throws it down, like Evan Batty going coast to coast. And he gets swatted when he tries to put the ball in, but uh, uh, I I wanted that for him so badly, uh, and for the crowd too. It's it's not it's not a bad crowd. I think that that is another important takeaway. Even if it's small, and again, I've only seen one game, maybe that was the outlier, but it's a good crowd. It just isn't as big and it isn't as full as you'd expect. Um, as as this season progresses, as, uh, you know, knock on wood, they rise up the rankings, you get into some Pac-12 play, you start to establish yourself as a, you know, a, a contender. Uh, maybe like an outside title contender, but still a team that people expect to be a sweet 16 where, where the elite eight is really the bold pick, you know? Uh, as, as you move in that direction, that place is going to fill up and it could almost be better because at this point, if it was just full of people who are there casually, who you know, want the buffs to win, but aren't just the crazy diehards, it might kind of take away some of that environment that's being built from all these people who, I mean, they're really bought in. The people next to the, next to the student section were insane. Like there were these four men, probably thirties and forties, uh, three of them together, one a row behind them who every free throw were like screaming. They're holding up like a brick, uh, I mean, they were getting into it, and that crowd got loud. Having a small but loud crowd and having people just kind of filter in, that's going to keep that culture alive. You know, if, if they pull in another 100 fans next time they play at uh, the event center, all those people are going to think, this is what you do at a basketball game. You get up and you scream, and so they're bought in. And then you just get in 100, 200 more, and then they do the same thing. And throughout this season, this crowd is going to get... Uh, it's going to get rowdy, I think, and I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think that that's my biggest take on that as well. Uh, any more basketball stuff to hit before we dig into some football to close this show out? Um, the offense just needs to start clicking. But before you even think about that, I think you got to figure out the turnovers. Uh, Deshaun Schwartz, like his game, uh, knocking down those threes. Uh, he's four of seven from three, uh, including some big shots. Uh, Lucas Seward also had this little, like, he, he caught the ball open, had somebody closing out, had a little fake to pass down to the corner. Uh, defender left him, and then he shot. It was almost like breaking ankles, almost, like in a different way, though. It, it was that level of cool is what I'm trying to say. But, um, yeah, I think Deshaun Schwartz was who really impressed me. Uh, he, he got hot from three when the Buffs really need somebody to get hot from three. At one point, they were shooting like 20% with a crazy number of turnovers and like 30% from the field. And, and also like 50% from the free throw line before they got that mostly figured out. Um, Deshaun Schwartz was a big reason that they uh, got the three-point shooting figured out. And that those numbers actually look pretty good. What they, they finished 7, to 20, seven of 21. Not good, but you have off nights. You're always going to have off nights. And uh, we've seen enough on nights, and we've seen this We've seen this happen before where they've missed a bunch of threes, but it feels like an off night. It doesn't feel like that's a trend. Um, running through these numbers, though, McKinley Wright 0 for 1, Deshaun Schwartz 4 for 7, Tyler Bay 1 of 1, Lucas Seward 1 of 2, Shane Gatling 1 of 5, Dallas Walton 0 of 1. Uh, that was like a f- he had to... Uh, Dalen Coots, 0 for 1. Maddox Daniels, 0 for 3. A lot of guys had some poor shooting nights. Luckily, Deshaun Schwartz was there, particularly in the second half, to right that ship, give them a threat. Um, You know, with the three-point shooting, it's going to be rare everybody's clicking. It's also going to be rare that nobody is clicking. Um, you just have to hope that you have two guys who are hot, maybe three guys who are hot, and they were able to get done with one last night. That's just one of those next steps for the offense, knocking down the open threes um, and then knocking down some more contested threes than they, they've been making. Just comes from ball movement, getting in rhythm, just, I don't know. I don't know. But where I was going with that a while back was that this was an off-night three-point shooting, and at this point I'm pretty confident in that. Uh, the free throw shooting has been getting better. Um, don't really know what this team is in that regard yet. We've seen good nights. We've seen bad nights. They had like the 21 of 24 or something like that a couple nights ago. They also had like the 9 of 20, possibly the game before that. Um, it's been up and down. We haven't seen them really level out and and have a few games in a row where it's like 75, 77, 74 where you're like, okay, this is probably the window where they're supposed to be. We can see what a good night and a bad night is. When it comes to turnovers, though, it, it just feels like at this point, 10 turnovers is a pretty pretty good night for them, which is a problem, and that's why that needs to improve because we have kind of started to see what that baseline level of turnovers is for this team. Um, that's the story. You know, the defense was good. The transition defense, I mean, it's transition defense is tough. I don't know. Just can't put that defense in those situations, especially in a te- against a team like Kansas. Like, this Buffs defense, uh, 
let's jump back to that Wyoming game. Ignore the Buffs offense totally, but uh, if if you're able to hold Wyoming to 15 points and a half, and sure it's Wyoming, it's not it's not Kansas, but but that means that you should be able to hold Kansas to 25 and a half, 22 and a half, right around there, and that's definitely a good night. But that's what this defense is capable of. This is a really good defensive basketball team, one of the best in the country. Uh, Tyler Bay, one of the best defenders in the country. I, th- I, I would say like those were some big blocks. I, what is his full stat line? Tyler Bay last night, three of six, one of one from three, six of six from the free throw line, uh, an offensive rebound, seven defensive rebounds, a steal, five blocks, five blocks, five blocks. It felt like. F- five blocks but that's what blocks do it's kind of like sacks where you're like oh wow they were all over the place and you're like that was two sacks i'm like oh yeah sacks are hard to get um tyler bay is an incredible defender uh you have a bunch of guys who can play defense just can't put that defense in bad situations and you got to knock down your open shots when you're able to get them against kansas um boy is that gonna be fun we have more to say about that uh but we'll save the rest of the basketball talk for a little bit later. Um, was there something else I wanted to talk about here? I've been signed out from this account, which means I don't know what to tell you, but I'm not going to stop this. Um, I'm just going to wait for it to reload. Okay. Uh, time to talk now about Total Beverage. Uh, you know how much I love Total Beverage. I actually have a Friendsgiving tonight that I totally forgot about. And uh, I, as a... Uh, pretty i don't know i'm not really sure when the age when people are supposed to learn how to like cook and cook well and cook things that people are like excited to eat is i'm not sure if that happens when you turn like like is that an out of college thing because it doesn't sound like it should be but like maybe that's when you're 26 you're like oh i could i could cook some sweet potatoes that you guys would die for i i don't know when that happens but it feels like as a 22 year old it's all right for me to be able to like boil pasta, microwave the sauce, and then just like mix the two together and eat it and be pretty proud. I, I think that that's like acceptable at this point. But Friendsgiving as the youngest one there, again, that this is pretty much always the case. Um, maybe that's why it was so much fun with a couple people who had just graduated um, at that basketball game last night. But um, for me, uh, I will be bringing the alcohol to Friendsgiving, and I'm sure you guys are not surprised by that, and uh, I will, I actually went to Total Bev, luckily I still have some left from the last Friendsgiving, um, and the reason I go there is because it's just the best deal, you can get 30% off your order of $75 or more with the code DNVR2019, the prices are already good, they have locations in Westminster and Thornton, they deliver, I don't know what else you could ask for. It's almost like the people who started Total Bev. I don't even. I don't think I met them. But um, it's almost like the people who started Total Bev just thought, "What are all of the things that people could not like about a liquor store?" And then just started checking off all the boxes. And at this point, it's like you don't even have to go to it. Is one of the draws. Like it's it's just perfect. If you guys haven't checked out Total Beverage, um, you've got to. Like I said, locations Westminster and Thornton. Uh, if you use the app, if you order online, the code DNVR2019 gets you 30% off. That's massive. Um, just do it. Just do it. 
Okay, um, some Buffs football stuff. Uh, some recruiting news, actually. Um, not like big news. We talked about the Mr. Williams thing in the draft pod a couple days ago. That's really exciting. He should be one of the... the it sounds like he's going to be an inside linebacker. I... I'd seen him listed as outside. He profiles as an inside linebacker. Um, the Buffs need that. The B- <laughs> really need that. Um, very good athlete. Uh, looked like he was probably going to be headed to LSU. Decides on Colorado. That's big time. That's really big time. Uh, really excited about that. But there's more, too. That signing put... The uh, or I guess not signing. Signing day isn't for a couple more weeks. I, I'm going to keep accidentally saying signing when I say commitment. Um, hope I should work on that. I sh- I'm, I'm focused. I'm catching it. But uh, when uh, he committed, he moved the Colorado Buffaloes into 28th place in the national recruiting rankings for this season, passing the Nebraska Cornhuskers. So that's pretty cool. Uh, um, also, there were coaches out in uh, Arizona this week, hanging out at the home of Jason Harris, um, a guy who was at the, let's see, it was the USC game that he came down to, I believe. No, it was the Stanford game, Stanford game, big recruiting game, of course. Um, And he's the defensive end. I saw him down the sideline. I was like, oh my goodness, this is just insane. Uh, He's a really good defensive end. Really good. 6'7", 220, freak. Um, It's really... Here's the thing. So he is going to announce his commitment um, on ESPN2. I think it's like the Army All-American Bowl uh, or or All-American Game, whatever they call it. Um, He's announcing it there. He's probably going to make his decision before that so that the teams know where he's going to go. Again, a nine two four one composite uh, recruiting rankings from twenty four seven sports two forty seven sports. I'm going to ask one of these guys how to say it, um, which would make him the top rated recruit in Colorado's class, uh, ahead of Ashad Clayton, who wouldn't be that far behind him. Um, like I said, Harris at nine two four one, Clayton at nine one seven five. Behind him is Christian Gonzalez at eight nine five eight. Uh, also, uh, just for the comparison, Antonio Alfano, who does not count in the recruiting rankings, uh, keep that in mind, was a 9965, just insane. Um, it's, it's looking good for Colorado. It's looking really good for Colorado to land Jason Harris. Boy, would that be huge. Imagine this defensive line. I mean, this is a defensive line that in a few years could rival what Utah's put together with Jason Harris, the 11th ranked uh, weak side defensive end his class. Antonio Alfano, number one recruit in his class. Uh, I guess Mustafa's gone, but Jalen Sammy looks like something else. Uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, again, uh, you, I, I saw people picking him preseason all Pac-12 as a freshman, a redshirt freshman, which is pretty crazy. And I think that he lived up to the hype and still has a few years to go. There's some talent here. And Terrence Lang turning it on. Uh, 
that's a that's a fun football team. A team that wins in the trenches is a fun football team. Uh, yeah, that's some exciting stuff. I thought that there was one more thing that I wanted to say. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Oh, I remember. If uh, Colorado actually does land that commitment from Jason Harris, that would move Colorado's class ahead of Purdue, ahead of Wisconsin, ahead of Iowa to number 25 in the country. And you know what? If you get a top 25 recruiting class, you can expect to see that team in the top 25 a few years down the road, um, maybe even a ways up if you trust the coaches to you know, make the talent perform ahead of where it should. Um, it's it's a fun time to be a Buff fan. Uh, again, already the fourth-ranked r- recruiting class in the Pac-12. They've never been in the top half of the Pac-12 before. Oh, how cool would that be? Um, Want to daydream about this defensive line a little bit more? Uh, I have some more thoughts. Terrence Lang, late in the season, really, really stepped up. Really became a guy who you could see being a game changer, being an NFL type guy. You know, he's beating blocks. He's so big out there. And you finally saw like the technique to know how to use all of his strengths. Um, I mean, kind of like with Jalen Sammy, where he did the same thing, where he felt like he was shedding blocks. He was getting into the backfield. And sometimes he would kind of get a little bit ahead of himself. He wasn't playing really good, like disciplined do your job type football there he wasn't filling gaps the way he should he might have been a little overexcited by how easy how much easier it had become to get into the backfield but again that's that's the problem you want to have with a young player it's it's just this growth where you you have the physical traits you know that this guy has the skills the size, the athleticism to get into the backfield. And then you start getting the technique to to actually put those skills to work, to actually get into the backfield when you're out on the field in game situations. And then after that, it's learning how to play within the defensive scheme and how to know when to do what. You know, instead of just having a bunch of tools in your arsenal, but just kind of, you know, call them like uh, arrows in the uh oh what is it called what's the thing that holds the arrows quiver yes a bunch of different types of arrows in the quiver and at this point like you filled that quiver up with arrows but you're kind of just pulling the arrows out at random and firing you're not using like the the super sharp arrow or like the what's what's it called with the bullet the uh uh, hollow tip, hollow point, hollow point. I'm not much of a gun guy, which is pretty crazy coming from Montana. Would love to check out a gun range, though. Heard that's a lot of fun. Um, but that those are like the ones where it like hits and uh, like the end is hollow, so it just kind of like blows up and it like kind of tears up whatever you're shooting at. Dark, but but then there's like other arrows where it's like the arrow is on fire, like you see on TV, or like the arrow has like the rope on it so you can climb it. Um, Jalen Sammy now has like all of those into his quiver and that love that I know that word. It feels weird to say, but um, that took a whole year to get all of those put together. And now it kind of feels like he's just firing at random. Um, not really doing it strategically. That's the next step is knowing when to use what knowing how to set a guy up so that you can do this next step. And, and that's, it just takes time to learn. 
Um, and, and the reason you don't learn all of this all at once is because you don't, I mean, high school football, any one of these defensive linemen is just beating up the guy in front of him. Like you're just throwing him to the side and getting to the quarterback. Um, you can be him with speed. You can be with power. You don't need much technique. And so learning how to play defensive line really starts in college. Um, and then, and then that's where you start by figuring out, here's how you use this move. Here's this move. Here's this move. And you spend time just developing the moves. Um, and at first, you, you have whatever your, your go-to is, a bull rush. And you're using that bull rush every time because that's the one thing you have. And then you start, you have like a counter to it. You have some sort of speed move. You have some rip move, something, something like that. And you kind of work off of that. So you have the two. But then as it starts to grow, then all of a sudden you can use these combinations throughout different plays. Or you know, you know what, third and short, I just got to fill this gap. I don't need to get in the backfield. Let's just do that. And that is just a progression where you can't even learn how to handle all different moves, how to put them together, what it feels like when you're in a rhythm deciding what to do, kind of like a play caller on offense would feel like they're in a rhythm, they're they're a step ahead of the other side. You don't even know what that feeling is because you've never actually had different things to, that you're trying. You've never realized that's a part of the game. And uh, that's what's up next for these guys. Uh, you can see the progression on the field. Terrence Lang was in the backfield constantly in that game against Utah. Like he was just throwing guys to the side and getting into the backfield and and he got like the tackle for loss. I think he had, did he have a couple of sacks in that game? Um, And there were times when he got back there, but there was nothing left back there. You can just see the, the second of the three steps on the field with these guys. And now they have a full off season to really grow. Um, Lang will be back as a junior. Sami will be back as a sophomore. You have Alfano stepping in. I still am confident that he will be playing next year. He'll be a freshman. Obviously, Mustafa Johnson is going to be a key part of that rotation as a senior next year. Um, you get Jason Harris. Ugh. It's, it's, it could be nasty uh, with this defensive line, and that is so exciting. Um, they'll, they'll have depth. They'll have real depth. There'll be there'll be guys on the sideline who won't even get in to the game that that you'd love to see play. Um, kind of like it's been with receiver. How much fun would it have been to see Vontae Chenault out there playing football? Even if there were mistakes, even if there were all these things, it's just a lot of fun. Same thing with you know the Nuggets with Michael Porter Jr. right now. You're, you just want to see him out there. But there's just too much depth in front of him. You can't justify him out there. And they're all other players that you would like to watch. You know, they're they're all also fun. You you want to see KD play. You want to see LaVisca play. You want to see Tony Brown play. You want to see what Dimitri Stanley can do. You want to see what uh, Jalen Jackson can do. Uh, Daniel Arias makes a couple plays. It looks raw at points, but it's still fun to have him out there and give him opportunities just because you can see what he could become. That... That whole big grouping of receivers is very similar to what we're going to see out of this the, this defensive line here pretty soon, and is, isn't that exciting? Same thing with the cornerbacks. You know, there's still holes. Linebacker, what are you going to do, Mister Williams? Love that name. He could get he could get in that rotation pretty quickly uh, if things all go well for him. 
Marvin Ham could be a guy who steps in. You know, Keel Jones has stepped up. Nate Landman stepped up in coverage. Uh, and there isn't as much rotation at those spots as there are in some of the others. You need two guys who can play. I'm confident that Nate Landman's going to be able to play next year. Did he struggle in coverage this year? Yeah. He got torched often. But late, there were some flashes. And a, 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 more than flashes, there were a couple games where he looked really good in coverage. Um, that Washington game being probably the biggest example of him becoming a guy who, when you put him in coverage, you say, you know, that's not a strength, but you aren't scared of it. Um, and from a defensive perspective, you aren't scared putting him out on the field. Uh, and that's pretty cool. Can Akil Jones continue to develop, continue to be another one of those kinds of guys? I think there's a real chance. Could you put Mark Perry into that role, take him out of the star a little bit, put him into that money spot, and see if he could take away part of that middle of the field? I think that's possible. Marvin Ham is possible. Um, and now Mr. Williams is another body to throw into that mix. A few years down the road, it's going to be his role. As a freshman, who knows if he even sees the field? This team is going to be a lot better in 2020 than it was in 2019. And like you're you're losing some big pieces. You're losing Visca. You're losing your four-year starter quarterback. But there's a lot of growth in other areas. Um, I miss football. I miss football so much. Uh, really excited for the conference championship games this week too. Uh, oh, we didn't. I, this might be the last show that gets up or that you'll have like time to listen to before that uh, Oregon Utah game. If you want. Oregon Utah talk you know what you should do you should go back to the draft podcast from yesterday me and Andre we had so much fun we got through like 10% of what we had planned for the first segment um, in the actual first segment because we had so many things to talk about it was a blast a whole bunch of good stuff uh, if you're a Bronco fan I did like a full seven round mock draft for the Broncos uh, some names that you guys will recognize as Pac-12 fans uh including Lecky Fotu, the, the defensive lineman from Utah. Um, a lot of LaVisca Chenault talk, too. Um, I, I kind of teased that story I wrote, breaking down all of the different landing spots that I like for him uh, before deciding on the Ravens. And uh, boy, would that be a lot of fun. I actually got on Madden to play with, today to play with the Ravens offense just to see how much fun uh, it could be with Visca in it. And it all lived up to the hype. I wish we had a college football video game that let me do the same thing. I wish I could scout all the Buffs opponents by playing with them in a video game, being like, oh, I see. I see how all this works. Because uh, you actually can learn a lot because those video games are getting really good. Um, I expect good news on that front, and that's what I'll say. Um, okay. Is there anything else? Uh, we also previewed all the conference championships was where I was trying to get to with the plugging the draft pod. Um Lots of Utah defense talk, lots of Justin Herbert talk, um, and then we kind of broke down where they fit in the college football playoff. Huge for the Pac-12 if Utah wins that, and that's a whole other segment. I have so many things that I want to talk about right now, but I just don't have time. We're running out. You know what? Screw it. Almost had to find my bleep sound effect. Um, screw it. We're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Utah and what it would mean for Utah to win that game. Um, here's the thing. I get that you really hate seeing your rivals do well. I also get that Utah's in a rivalry, um, and that's something we all have to talk about. 
Um, throw that to the side. Every Pac-12 team is a rival. You don't like seeing the teams that you go up against play well. As somebody who's more of a Bronco fan than a Buffs fan, you know, I cover the Buffs. I like a lot of the players. I want to see them do well for sure. I think I made that clear. Um, but for the Broncos, there's some irrationality. I want to see bad things happen to Patrick Mahomes. Um, not necessarily like injuries. Nobody wants that. But like if he throws an interception, I smile. Um, when Kobe was playing for the Lakers and I was cheering for the Nuggets and even in games where the Bron- or the Nuggets weren't even in it, Kobe has a bad game. You're like, yeah, don't like that guy. I like this. Um, you have those feelings against teams in your division, teams that you just don't like. Uh, I think any team in the Pac-12 as Buffs fans, you should feel that way. You should not want good things for them. But above all else, you have to want what's best for the Colorado Buffaloes. And what's best for the Colorado Buffaloes is for good things to happen around the Pac-12. You know, uh, Washington State is going to San Jose for the College Cup, the women's soccer Final Four, um, which is a big deal. Uh, actually three Pac-12 teams out of the four. That's how good the Pac-12 is. That's why it's so hard for Colorado to break in. Um, we aren't, we don't have time for soccer. We really don't have time for soccer. Um, but when Washington state went in, you know, uh, Rick George, the athletic director of Colorado threw out a tweet that said like, congrats, go Pac-12, something like that. And, uh, that's because it's good for everybody when the Pac-12 does well. I mean, if you just want to take it straight up, the easiest, most tangible route, the Pac-12 and the teams inside the Pac-12 get money for being in the college football playoff. You know, when when Utah gets the invite, if Utah gets the invite, they'll get, I can't remember what the numbers are. Um, I think they get something like $1.5 million, and I can't remember what the split is, whether it's like half goes to Utah, half goes to the Pac-12. And again, the Pac-12 ends up dividing all the money across the teams. So that's that's like real money that comes into the program. And that's an easy way to see where, where it's good. But just establishing that the Pac-12 is a good football conference is so important. It's so important to getting viewers, uh, especially right now as you're trying to convince uh, all of the all of the. TV channels, all the networks that the Pac-12 is worth paying money for uh, to be able to broadcast these football games as we start to get closer to the next rounds of negotiations. That deal's up in 2024. They'll start negotiating a new deal before that. Um, You don't like the Pac-12 network? You don't like having to watch those games? You don't like how Pac-12 After Dark works? Cheer for Utah because... It's, it's we'll fix it. Is one team going to make the college, making the college football playoff really going to change everything? Probably not, but it's a step in the right direction. It's one more thing that they can point to. And you know what? Maybe just having this recognition means that the Pac-12 gets a tiny bit more respect. Maybe every team is bumped up one spot in the rankings to start next season because the Pac-12 is just legitimized that little bit more. Uh, if Utah proves that what it did in the Pac-12 was actually a challenge, if I mean, this isn't going to happen. Ohio State's going to win the national championship. Uh, we can fight about that later on. Um, but if Utah somehow were to beat Oregon, get into the college football playoff, beat Ohio State in the first round, beat LSU in the actual championship, what does that mean for USC? The one team that beat Utah all year. The one team that beat the national champion all year. That raises 
their value a little bit. And then how about Colorado that was able to hung with them, hang with them? You know, it just raises everybody in the Pac-12 just a little bit more. And that is so important, particularly right now as we start to get into the the, the next negotiations for the TV deal, um, because it isn't going to happen overnight. Like, like that's still four years down the road before everything changes with the TV stuff. That means you have one chance to really build this thing, and it starts with Utah winning and Utah being followed next season. And as people are watching Utah, seeing these other Pac-12 teams, hopefully Colorado among them, playing well against them, competing with them, and uh, then maybe Utah runs it back, and it's like, okay, now, now we know Utah's for real. Uh, we knew that they were for real last year because they contended for a national title. They were in the college football playoff, but... It happened at the end of the year, so we didn't watch everything that happened throughout the year because we just dismissed the Pac-12. Now we were watching the Pac-12 and saw them do it again. Or, or we're watching the Pac-12 and so we saw Oregon make it in the college football playoff. Or saw USC make it into the college football playoff because we were there for Utah, but it turns out somebody else was good. You know, it's just starting to draw these eyes. And, and it's this multiplying effect year after year where if you can just start consistently putting one team at that elite level. You know, why does the SEC have the reputation for being the best conference in college football? Because year in and year out, they have three of the top five or six college football teams. It's not because Tennessee is all that good. It's not because all these teams at the bottom of the conference are all that good. It's because they just have enough teams at the top. They're like, oh, wow, that's a power. That's what... That's what the Pac-12 needs to build. And and it's just getting to that point, just having one team consistently in the college football playoff, having another team rotate into a, a top-tier bowl game, winning the Rose Bowl consistently. You know, all these different things, it just... It, it's a, it's a, it takes a few years to, to get that process all the way through um, to where you feel that the Pac-12 is a, a real competitive power five conference and deserves to have the TV deal of a real competitive power five conference. But, uh, and again, that's just one way that it's helpful to have, uh, a, a really good football team, a couple really good football teams in this conference. Um, you could go on and on as much as you might want bad things for Utah. Put that to the side. Hope they cheer for, hope they beat Oregon. Hope they make a run at the college football playoff. Uh, hope they don't just get, totally smoked by Ohio State. I think the Buffs defense or the Utah defense is good enough that they can at least keep it within a couple scores, which is a good look against Ohio State, uh, better than most national uh college football fans would expect. I don't know. It's a uh, it's important. Um it's important. I'm really excited for that game. I hope you guys are excited too. I'm also really excited to come back tomorrow and talk about more things. Uh, we're going to talk about Kansas because that's the game of the year in my book uh, for Colorado. Um, it'd be great to, you know, like Pac-12 games mean a lot more, but as long as they make the tournament, I don't really care too much about the seeding. You just go in there, you win the games. Um, regular season basketball games, not all that important. But beating Kansas with the entire country watching, I mean, that's massive. That's massive. This is a huge opportunity. Um, lose to Oregon twice this season. 
lose to Washington twice this season. Uh, uh, I don't know. Four games in exchange for beating Kansas, that might be a bit much. But this is huge, and it's going down Saturday, and I am so, so excited. Um, I'll be back tomorrow with more Buffs Talk. As always, leave your comments in the comment section on this post, and I will dig into those tomorrow. And uh, you guys have really good questions, and I really appreciate them, and there were none today. And I get, like, football offseason, whatever. But there's still important football things happening. There's still crazy things happening in uh, the world of basketball. And we're we're all Pac-12 fans now, and we should buy into that. Um, All right. That's going to be it for today. We're going to move along. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow, and I'm excited to talk to you then. See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And boat is where we station, patiently awaiting. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey, hey. you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it. Colorado swag, my 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 Colorado
Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swag.